Hey guys, a uh, quick trigger warning for uh, rape. Uh, at, uh, until about the 31 minute mark, we're talking about the movie uh, MFA, which is a relatively new movie, and a large part of the plot does hinge on rape and sexual assault. So if you want to um, fast forward to the 31 minute mark, um, we then talk about other stuff that's not that. So thanks, enjoy. Hey guys, welcome to Rank and Vile, the podcast where we attempt to rank every single horror movie ever. And on this episode, we are joined by uh, editor of Black Candies, uh, Julia Evans. How's it going? Good. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Thanks for being here. How's your week been, Julia? It's been fine. I've watched a lot of horror movies. Oh, so, right. you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I never know if I should feel good to be like, hey, come on our show. Here are some movies to watch. And usually it's like, why? Why? <laughs> and you feel embarrassed for having been like, you know, yeah, I, I think some of the movies we've picked, you know, because we, we do a lot of screeners and some of those screeners, it's a bit of a mixed bag. And so we'll have a guest on talking about like, um, she kills or something. And then we all just have to process this um, together and deal with this uh, trauma. And it's terrible. <laughs> Not so much trauma. Well, I guess a little. Well, yeah, a mild, a mild amount. So, uh, Julia, um, I think the, uh, the the question we like to ask people when they uh, come on the show is, what is your background with horror? Like, did you have, did you watch a lot of horror growing up? Or like, uh, how did you get into the genre? No, absolutely not. I stayed away from it as much as I could. Um, I think because I'm prone to anxiety and intrusive thoughts, I'm like, no way am I like fueling that stuff with horror. Definitely. I'm just going to stay away. And um, it wasn't until, I think I just started out as a writer a couple years ago in 2012, 2013. And um, there was a call for submissions by my friend, Ryan Bradford's journal, Black Candies. And I thought, well, okay, I can write something dark. I can like kill off an animal. That counts, right? And I, I wrote this story and it was incredibly dark. Like it's really easy for me to go there, especially writing female characters and female relationships and things like that. And I guess it just kind of snowballed from there. And, 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 you, have a, and you have a novel coming out, I think, right? I do, which is not horror. Um, it's dark and um, relatively literary. Right. <laughs> you know. But yeah, I think what um, this is something that I, I kind of have absorbed from the insights of others over the years. And it's like horror gives you that place where those like physical reactions or emotional reactions that you associate with anxiety or fear, it makes those okay. And makes those feelings like, this is where you're, this is how you're supposed to feel right now. So like settle in. Right, because, because now you can process them because now they're yes. out there. Yeah, and so framing it that way was like, oh, Okay, I understand it now. I understand why people create art in the horror genre now. So definitely. So you edited um, the gross and unlikable issue of Black Candies, which was all uh, female and female-identifying authors. What is it like to steep yourself in that much lady horror? Amazing. I. Um, so Natanya Ann Pulley was the main editor of that project, and I worked alongside her. And I probably read that book four times over the course of a few months and editing it and putting it together. And it's just like every time I would sit back and say, wow, this is messed up. This is 
insane. This is like the grossest stuff I've ever read. And also this is really beautiful. This is really powerful work. So I think um, most of all, I came away really inspired and proud. So um, I was thinking about uh, a panel I was at on trigger warnings um, a couple months ago. Mm. And one of the panelists said one of the downsides about trigger warnings is oftentimes it is women and minorities that are writing triggering material. Mm -hmm. And that panelist was worried by putting that label on it, it gave people a pass to skip out on that material. Um, Based off of female horror and based off of this movie MFA we're going to talk about, what do you think it is that allows uh, women especially to write some of the more effective um, depictions of traumatic events like rape and violence? Well, I think that this is something that has really come to light in the last, I would say the last 12 months or even within that, this idea of staying in your lane, and um, which I think can be really stifling as an artist or even as an activist, but it's like who else could write about things like um, sexual abuse or, or the sexism of being a woman than a woman um, in, a, in a way like it comes from their deep knowing of it and their deep understanding and their fear or all of those things that are innate to having gone through it. And um, I think one thing I, should we talk about MFA right now? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. One um, thing I felt. Perfect segue. <laughs> Here we go. So real quick, MFA <laughs> is a new movie. It just came out. Um, MPI Media Group uh, provided us with a screener very graciously. It is super awesome. Thanks, guys. I think it is on the festival circuit scene. I think it might actually be on VOD right now, too. Um, yeah, I adored it. I think that. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. It's beautiful and gorgeous. But I think like my main thought was like knowing that this was a female centric creative team. Yes. It it helped me like sit like sit back and relax into those scenes that are really triggering because I'm like they're going to be handled with a little bit more care. Um it's not going to be torture porn. It's not going to be um in, it's not going to be triggering for trigger's sake or mm -hmm. um yeah there was something really there was something really relieving just kind of I, I felt like I was repeating it to myself in my head as I was watching that scene like this is a woman director this is a woman director it's gonna be okay <laughs> yeah well because like we've all seen like a million you know sort of either rape revenge well, like either rape revenge movies or like horror movies with like rape scenes and you know that it's some gross shitty dude doing this yeah, mm -hmm. and that's the ghoulish, shameful part of, like, this show and this fandom is, like, I'm very hesitant often to say, like, and then there's a rape scene. And, and it's, like, even movies like It Stains the Sands Red, which I think Ryan and I really enjoyed, has this random rape scene just plopped in it. And it's kind of, like, it's almost, like, snidely whiplash cartoonishly bad, like... How can we show that this guy is evil? Oh, let's have him rape the protagonist. It's 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 so gross and 
cartoonish. And also, I think what's so powerful about MFA is that initial rape scene is one of the most brutal rape scenes I've ever watched on film. And unfortunately, doing this podcast, I've seen a whole lot of rape scenes in movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, like that, scene, so many. Like, that scene opening it up, honestly, for me, that was like anything she does the rest of the movie, I'm on her side. Absolutely. I was rooting for her, and I was scared that she was going to get caught at every turn. I was like, just don't get caught. I'm on your side. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, there was something really about that particular scene, um, the way that it unfolded from, like, hot was really uncomfortable, mm-hmm. you know? And it was really like, yeah, it's so it, it's so striking and startling how quickly it can go from, like, this sweet moment. Even though he was kind of douchey the whole time. Like, um, he was, like, the worst art student, the things he was saying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but it was still, like, a, a relatively... Like, he felt her excitement and her and her, like oh, like, he's paying attention to me, and this is really a sweet moment, and then suddenly it turns. I think that's what made it really uncomfortable. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think the audio design in this movie is masterful. Oh, my God, the audio. Like, the Mm -hmm. music. There was was one musical uh, cue where they were, like, using the phrase, do you want to talk about it? Like, somebody saying out loud the phrase, do you want to talk about it? But they, like, layered it and made it musical as part of the soundscape? Holy shit, man. Like, I... And, like, the sounds they played during the, the rave scene in the beginning, like, it felt like my head was going to implode. Uh-huh. Yeah, that was... It's like they could... I feel like having seen that scene now, there's no other sound that I could have handled during that scene yeah. just like that screeching single note was powerful yeah and, and the actor who plays the protagonist in this like i want to see so much more of her because she fucking killed in this performance <laughs> yeah yes francesca eastwood is awesome uh good news though um the screenwriter leah mckendrick who plays um sky the the best friend uh, she oh, is a screenwriter and she and her production company have put out several more movies and they're still putting stuff out so oh that's, that's great oh that's dunk awesome. Francesca Eastwood is in Final Girl uh, from 2015 that we need to do on this show oh so I have a, I, I have a copy of other that. horror movies <laughs> I didn't know that was the screenwriter yeah me either and she and her performance was also really, really good. Because sometimes when the writer of the movie wants like a part in the movie, sometimes that doesn't work out so great. But she she was fucking great as the best friend. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and and also the fact that uh, so that's Leah McKendrick who's the screenwriter. The fact that she's this very real, vulnerable character, and the way that we have you know noel and sky are like together in this really vulnerable moment is super great too that that's like such a this movie felt real as you know outlandish as a college student putting on a pink wig and seeking revenge against uh rapist football players can be like it also felt 
very real and believable the whole way through. It was very grounded because yeah. of the character development. No, their their relationship was really intense, and um, you know, I had a lot of thoughts about belief in this movie and believing each other and how a woman can be believed by other people about this. And it's like Sky was the only one who believed her, but even then it was like the same breath. Sky was like, you can't, you can't do anything. You can't tell anyone. So even in that moment where she had one person believing in her, um, they were like, nope. Right. And then you find out later that it's, you know, she, she has experience with this. Mm-hmm. Right. She knows full well. Yeah, like what happens when you, you know, go to the, like, school, you know, counselor to, to try, you know, talking oh about this. Oh, gosh. That scene was, I honestly, and and that scene was, I think, one of the hardest to watch. Mm-hmm. Because of the way that, you know, she just starts chipping away at what she's saying, where she was like, were you drunk? Were, you know, like, just all these little questions that it slowly begins dawning on the protagonist, that, like, she was fucking right. I found that scene very, very full of terror. Like mm-hmm. um, the way those questions unfolded and you're just like sort of hinging upon everyone. Like, how much did you have to drink? Are you sure? Did anyone see this happen? Um, yeah, like we have to watch her self-doubt and we're sure. We're like, we saw, <laughs> we saw it happen. <laughs> and we're watching her like retreat into doubt or um i mean come to find out she does not doubt it but it's it's like we have that terror that maybe she's gonna stop believing in herself in that moment yeah and and honestly like yeah you're i mean and also there's obviously like a whole genre of not quite horror films more like exploitation films with like the rape revenge genre i when i was like 16 i tried watching i spit on your grave and couldn't make it through the first 10 minutes of it and this is like the only rape revenge movie I've seen that I was actually able to watch all the way through mm. because just the way it progresses. And then the fact that, you know, uh, the, she really, I, I don't know, like, cause I don't want to spoil the plot because it's so new, obviously. Um, but the protagonist, like she makes so many choices in this that like, now the thing is I, not to navel gaze too much, but at the beginning of the thing, so she's an art student. And she's showing off at the very beginning, like one of her paintings, and um, everybody's sort of doing the the art school thing of like, but where's the emotion? Where's the you know? And yeah. The 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 trope of the prof saying you really got to push yourself this semester, and then she starts murdering people. Not like that. <laughs> and everyone's like, wow, your paintings have gotten really good since you started murdering people. Since you've used um, like actual blood. <laughs> <laughs> right, and like viscera, and, and and the thing is, like, I feel like the movie sets up its own um, sort of. If if the movie verges into anything weird, it gives itself kind of a get out of jail free card by putting forward the mission statement that like we want to seem messy, we want to seem imperfect and honest. Mm-hmm. And the movie itself absolutely does that because, like, narratively, I think there are some pacing issues. Like, I I could you could nickel and dime the movie forever with like structural stuff, but it goes for it and it doesn't hold back and it's so fucking raw and hard to watch at points and like satisfying at points and i don't know i feel like um the this this movie did something really really commendable with finding a way to make this narrative watchable Hmm. yes yes 
I think that it's that that actor. Like she carried that movie so well. What's her name? The main character. Her name is oh, Francesca uh, Eastwood. Francesca Eastwood. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I knew within the first three minutes. I wrote it down in my notebook. Like I know what she's capable of. And then, like twenty four minutes into it, I'm like, wow, I didn't think I would see this so soon. <laughs> but like, you she's watch down for murder. The murder yes, is gonna she's happen. down. She's gonna do it. And um, but you watch her go through these really subtle. Um, this growth or this ramping up more like where I think the the scene where I really fell in love with her character was when she watches the other rape videos and I'm like oh my god yeah you're obsessed like I see what this Mm -hmm. is doing to you and then um, I really loved every time she ate on screen (laughs) yeah she does a lot of eating in this movie it was very like Brad Pitt in Ocean's Eleven like she just seems really (laughs) sassy about eating she's like throwing the popcorn in her mouth and this um moment with like the v-day group which was really funny where they're she's talking about just like killing off everyone and they say well um are you saying like an eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind she's like world's already blind and then pops this like piece of tangerine in her mouth (laughs) (laughs) i thought that moment was like i want a gif of that yeah, yeah, there needs to be more movie where people are uh, aggressively eating food. <laughs> yeah, and and I also like that she's allowed to be imperfect. Mm-hmm. Like she's allowed to fuck up, and you know she she does a thing toward the uh, the third act of the movie that's like, I don't man, you might have really fucked someone over here. Like she, I don't know. I I, I like that she's such a fucking complex character, and she's not made mm-hmm. to be like just like uh she's not joan of arc and she's not you know I, I i i don't know i can't think of a lot of characters like that i think that's what makes thrillers so great because like my favorite recent thriller is nightcrawler with jake Hall because oh, he's God. such a broken person yeah and the whole time i'm saying don't do that. No, please stop. Don't do that. No, don't do it. And that's the same way I feel about this character in this movie is like it's a it's an actual roller coaster with Noel because the whole time I'm like I kind of want to see you kill this guy and like is it a spoiler to say that she kills her rapist? I think that goes without saying. That's the inciting incident. But like right. when she kills the rapist, I'm like, yeah. It, but also like <laughs> But I wish it was gorier, which is this weird place to be in with horror movies where it's like, oh, sure. you couldn't have decapitated him. It was just, it was that. <laughs> well, because because in horror movies, like, if you're that, like, snot character, you usually get the most, like, cartoony, lavished on-screen death. Like, if everybody already wants to watch you die, you usually get the, the, the full words. <laughs> and he just kind his his death was kind of like, oh, oh, shit, he's dead, and not quite, like, the righteous, like, yeah, motherfucker. It's just like, uh, oh, shit. Which right, and that's how she felt, too. is making <laughs> yeah. a bigger point that, like, oh, you don't get grandiose closure. It's just, oh, now what? Well, I guess I have yeah. to keep going. I have to do this for other people. And it's kind of like that, it's, you know, that spiraling out of control that, like, that should be enough but it's not so she kills again and then that should be enough and she kills again and it gets harder and you know she gets careless and reckless and you know she almost gets killed that one time and it's just like it spirals out of control and i think that's what makes 
thrillers so compelling is because you just watch someone get mired in the shit show and you can't look away and you want them to get out even though you have a pretty good idea that it's not going to turn out well. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I need to make sure we're going to talk about the use of a pool scene. Yes. Just, oh my God. Maybe that's all we say about it, but solid pool scene. It's one of my favorite um, horror elements is when they use a swimming pool. Man, and, and that shot of her underwater, like, I feel like that's burned into my brain now. Mm-hmm. Like, man, and honestly, just the, the the way so much of this movie is shot generally, I feel like a lot of thought went into this movie. And it's a wonderful feeling to have about a movie where you've got total faith that the people who made this were making really conscious choices and not just sort of, eh, put some people in front of a camera and have some stuff happen. Yeah. So let's talk about where we'll put it on the list. I feel like it's definitely better than Ginger Snaps, which is another very female-centric movie. I haven't seen that one. Ginger Snaps sounds um, interesting. Oh man, it's, it's like a, one of the only—it's like one of the only good werewolf movies I've ever seen. Oh, Julia, it's. But what if werewolves were tied to your period? Oh, <laughs> I always so kind of assume that they are for, right for the first mm-hmm. time ever, and then she also turns into a werewolf at the same time. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> And her sister, who's younger and is like a late bloomer, is like, I don't know how to relate with you anymore because you're a werewolf, but also because you're you, you're on your period and I'm not. Wait, Quincy, <laughs> are you saying that monsters are metaphors? <laughs> um, you mean this yeah, is all I, very literal? <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were just talking about some werewolves. Um, man, I honestly, I don't know. I, I feel like I would put this above Ginger Snaps. Yeah, that does put it above Audition, though. But I feel like this is a better revenge movie than Audition. Oh, for sure. Well, I mean, Audition is kind of a revenge movie in reverse, but we're already well post the, you know, the revenge arc. Like, this is just, this is her, like, in her late revenge period, just sort of fucking around, not, like, the driving... You know, I need to kill those who have wronged me. This is, like, Audition is her going, like, I'm going to kill everyone. Wait, Ryan, have you seen Lady Snowblood? No. Oh, man. Um, That's a rape revenge movie that's definitely worth watching, except it's generational. Um, The mom has a daughter to seek revenge on her rapists. Jesus. Wow. And, like, trains her to be a a samurai assassin from birth. Wow. Yeah, it's dope. It's real dope. Um, I can look that up. So, I feel like this is this is gonna sound way worse than it's intended, but this is kind of like a PSA horror, like mm-hmm. um, Get Out or It Follows, um, or in a way Green Room. I think Green Room is very, hey y'all, did you know Nazis are really bad and that there are <laughs> neo Nazis in America and they're really scary. <laughs> Um, right, I thought that too. I I would definitely classify it in that like, um, you can't think about it without thinking about it being a PSA movie. I think mm-hmm. and, socially um, conscious sounds better than PSA. <laughs> but I think right. it follows diverged from that um, classification real quickly. Yeah. It was not about sexually transmitted diseases, whereas this is about like what a what a woman has to do to be believed you know the right. entire time and get out 
also like had to stay in that that story about race the entire time so, so that's a really lot so i i would say it's better than green room um is it better than funny games yes i feel like yes, michael haneke doesn't respect his audience i think he's like get it do you but the fact that his characters literally look at the audience and like break the fourth wall and say hey do you get what we're doing here like that's a little <laughs> pandering and i think that mfa is a little bit more um has more faith in its audience its viewership is he I, I kind of I, there's a lot of stuff about uh, stuff about funny games that I like but I kind of don't care for it for that reason yeah because of you know I I, I can't picture it without like picturing uh, the director nudging me in the ribs until I die while watching it going ah you see what I did with the and so I would definitely put MFA uh, above the funny games okay here's where we kind of get start painting ourselves into a corner. American Psycho mm -hmm. is number 10. Yep. This movie is definitely better than American Psycho. Whoa. Oh, okay, okay. No. <laughs> I mean, it, well, American Psycho is just iconic. That's true. It is. And that's the problem is, like, right under American Psycho are all these iconic movies. So do we put the young upstart movie up really high and then hope it weathers well or do we say <laughs> in a couple of years if we revisit it maybe it would go higher but uh, i yeah i honestly i all right this is uh let me let me let me let me throw this out there i don't think mfa is better than suspiria okay why like in, 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 constru <laughs> in, 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 in construction at the very least because i feel like um, Suspiria has a kind of clarity of purpose that MFA doesn't quite have, where, like, Suspiria has what it's doing, and it's just absolutely pounding away at that, and it's got a kind of internal consistency that I think, for me, toward the, like, middle of the third act in MFA, I was kind of like, oh, all right. And I don't know. I feel like Suspiria is more, like, I don't know, solid, I guess? So internal consistency what about hellraiser um oh god damn i don't know julia what do you think i don't know i'm not the one to ask about that one <laughs> i feel like this movie mfa has um it's a gorgeous movie and it one thing that it does so well is it taps into all of these like types of of connections between women it's like the men are just caricatures except for mm -hmm. one guy but like even the, he i think is kind of a caricature like yeah that's a good point he he, he is a weak character so in a way cool. i'm like yeah high five look we've we've like reverse vegetal test in this movie in a way <laughs> but um there's so many ways that women can be shitty to each other and so many ways that women can be amazing to each other and you see all of them in this. And I think in that way, like the way that horror kind of wraps that up is amazing. I don't know yeah. how it will survive. This is a very modern, very current issue. Like it feels very Twitter to me. Right. 
And maybe that's just because we're all like soaking in social media all the time. Yeah, maybe it's our fault. <laughs> but I think, I think the best horror movies on this list actually say something deeper than you know. They, they're literally metaphor. It's you know, hey, period. You know, teenage adolescence is hard, and so would being a werewolf. And like <laughs> Alien is, hey, you know what's really scary? It, uh, pregnancy. <laughs> <laughs> in space yeah, yeah 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 ginger snaps is literally just uh, a guy jumping out yelling puberty <laughs> so you're saying that you need that uh sweet metaphor candy coating um for your horror so yeah but here's the deal hellraiser's metaphor is if you're gonna crank it you're gonna go to hell <laughs> <laughs> so just don't fucking do that just you'll be fine just don't do that yeah and um, mfa is like hey let's talk about all of the ways that we deal with trauma and how we mm -hmm. kind of move on from that or don't move on from it. Well, and so much of horror for me is, is trauma. Like it's how people respond to trauma. It's what it does to people. Um, I, yeah. Although honestly between Hellraiser and MFA, maybe it's just the kind of um, like, Oh, this movie is still so new. I don't know. I gun to my head. I would probably put Hellraiser above, above mfa but here's the thing if hellraiser and mfa had come out the same year and i was watching both of them back to back i don't know which one i would pick so julia it's friday okay. night uh -huh. you've got a tombstone pizza frozen frozen <laughs> you know freezer pizza and a two liter of your favorite soft drink are you gonna watch hellraiser a movie with a guy called pinhead and a sex box or are you going to watch MFA again? Wow, that's a beautiful night. <laughs> I think I would, I think I, I already wanted to watch MFA again after it was done. Mm -hmm. I think I would pick that. Right on. What about you guys? Would you watch, which one would you choose to watch twice? I would watch Hellraiser because it's not going to make me feel bad. Yeah. Which is an argument for why MFA should go higher. And is a more effective horror movie. It is a more effective horror movie. Because, yeah, it's it's so good that I don't need to see it over and over again. It it just kind of sinks in and I, you know, think about it. But honestly, I'll probably watch MFA before I get around to rewatching Hellraiser. Yeah, that sounds right. I, I feel like, honestly, I... What what is what is probably good and right for this list? I feel like it should go between Suspiria and Hellraiser. It's better than Hellraiser, and I think I would put Suspiria slightly above it just for craft. Yes. So y'all, this is on VOD already, so it's definitely worth the six or seven dollars to to rent it. It's really good. So number eighteen is MFA. Yeah. What? How many do you have on your list? What? Eighteen oh, out of how oh many? Uh, Eighteen out of one hundred and twenty-five. Yeah. How? Yeah. Right. Yeah. We've watched them That's all. We did. I must say, good job, Why girls. We've done this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I. You know. I. Honestly, MFA, like, I, with this podcast, anytime I get to watch a thing that's actually really good, I get so excited. <laughs> because we watch so much that's really bad. To be fair, this week has been pretty light on us, because we didn't watch Machiste in Hell. <laughs> that is true. Listen, I've, I've now watched I, Frankenstein for this podcast, and it's the ultimate sacrifice. <laughs> <laughs> 
So I, I thoroughly enjoyed everything you made me watch. That's oh, awesome. I'm, I, I hate that it really was like, yeah, you made me watch these movies. And Sorry, I, no. I also have this fear that former guests are listening going, those motherfuckers made me watch that and she got to watch that. <laughs> Right, like, you guys had me out here watching Grime Wave Cockface 3, and she gets to watch Mayhem? I watched the Bye Bye Man, for God's sake. <laughs> Just mutinous. The Bye Bye shot. Man. <laughs> um, so, the uh, the next movie on our list is uh, a movie that just came out. The screener was provided by RLJ Entertainment. Thank you, guys. And it's uh, Mayhem. Um, Starring Stephen fucking Ewan. Stephen fucking Ewan. I, um... Fancy LA voice. I, I got to go to the, the the premiere of this at Beyond Fest, um, and they they, they, they had a, a Q and A afterward. Um, and honestly, Mayhem, uh, I really like this movie. <laughs> um, I enjoyed it. It was. Um, I haven't watched much like comedy horror. I think the last one I saw was um, Shaun of the Dead, and um, it was just a delight. Yeah, although Mayhem, I think, so um, the, the plot of the film is it's basically uh, the purge meets office space, where <laughs> there's this virus that um, sort of shuts down um, your uh, superego, and so your id is basically just free to do whatever, so people, like, if you get this virus um, for, like, eight hours or whatever, you um, want to, like, attack people with various office equipment and have sex and throw yourself out of windows, and just generally it turns people into um, complete animals. That was and almost as good as the actual science prologue in the movie. Yeah, which is basically <laughs> that. So so can we just dive right in and say that this narration slash dialogue is simultaneously the best and the fucking worst? <laughs> yes. Um, now, I, I do like that they, um, they preface it with... Um, this like case that happened previously in flashback where like a guy killed his coworker and because he had the virus he was found in court to not be legally liable for the murder and so you can um, moonwalk on out of a murder charge if you get this virus so that's basically whatever happens in this office building for the next like eight hours um, nobody is going to experience any consequences on the other side for this right um, and honestly the the virus in this is wild inconsistent because here's the thing like you it, it for, there are moments where it's like ah i got the virus i'm crazy and they're like wiping blood on their face and like although i noticed my favorite part of this is the extras who are just throwing paper at each other <laughs> like or like that is doing that it. is what your that is what your unfettered lizard brain wants to do is throw paper and that's right it's like we have Guys literally, you know, nailing each other to desks and, like, fucking brains out, and you're going to throw some paper? <laughs> but to be fair, most of my day at work is, what if I threw this pin across the room? <laughs> no, don't do it. Okay, don't throw crazy. that pin across the room. But, like, for the sake of plot, like, I feel like, um, so Stephen Ewan, who's, honestly, he... I want him to be the everyman in every movie for the next 30 years. Yeah, he's so good at it. Oh, he's such a great everyman. I'd never like, seen him before, but my husband was like, oh, it's the kid from The Walking Dead. And I'm like, oh, I've also never <laughs> seen that. But he was a delight. I, I thought he was real fun. And um, just like his serious face and his crazed face, I thought he was pretty incredible he definitely yeah. carried it 
Oh my god. And then the fact that, like, I mean, you see that face, right? And anything that kid does, I'm like, oh, go on then. Like, he wants to <laughs> right. murder his man. It's fine. Um, but, like, fine. the virus is so inconsistent because it's sort of like, for the sake of plot, of course, he can't just at an inopportune moment decide to start, like, headbutting a wall until he dies or, like, just you know, whipping his, his dick out at, at, at an opportune moment when somebody has a knife. Like, he's weirdly, like, lucid about all of this. And actually, mm -hmm. most of the people in this movie are pretty lucid. Like, I, I, they're like normal people who have just been told that they can get away with murder in the next eight hours, and they're just going for it, rather than, I am under the thrall of some weird, crazy-making virus. Yeah. Oh, I wonder if you're onto something there. Mm. Oh, oh. Oh. Maybe it was like a placebo, and there was yeah, no virus. Right. But I, I did think I'm like, oh, he's way too calm and rational. Like, is it wearing off? There's no countdown. Anytime there's some kind of like time um, countdown in a movie, I want like an actual clock on the screen so I know oh, yeah. where they are. And they do flash the time a couple of times. Mm hmm. They mention like you only have this much time left. Yeah. But I um. I also really loved the co-star. Oh, she's fantastic. I think her character's name is Melanie, and I had to look it up to find it, because she's not really named until the very end. Yeah, um, and, and, and honestly, like, that, um, that actor um, was in this recent thing that was unfortunately uh, directed by McGee on Netflix called The Babysitter. Um, hmm. And her name is uh, Samara Weaving, and she is a fucking delight in this movie. Yes, she is great. Um, her descent into just like she just like scoff laugh at people and um, like pumping her fist when murder's happening. She was amazing. She had that like crooked smile and they cheers their power tools. It's really cute. Yeah, she's got that joie de vivre, man. She's just generally down for whatever horrible thing is happening at that moment. So. Yep. Where do you want to put this on the list? Because I'm kind of lost. It's like, it could go really high, it could go, go really low, it could go in the middle. I don't really know where to place it. Ooh, okay. I hmm. will tell you, it doesn't have an original song to it. No, no. It's basically, it's like uh, a kid with an iPod. So, therefore, Maniac Cop 2 would probably be a better movie, because it has a tie-in rap. However, it did have prominent use of Faith No More, which I appreciate in a, in a major motion picture. That was good. Picture. And Dave Matthews, of course. Oh, yeah. Oh, there's, yeah. Prominent use of Dave Matthews in this movie. <laughs> so, our, speaking of other Office movies, so I feel like I'm missing out because I've never, I've been blessed to never work in an office. I've just stayed in academia. Oh, so, like, mm. I don't get office space. Like, I've watched it a couple times, and I don't understand why it's funny. Uh, Dilbert eludes me. Like, I don't really get those <laughs> types of things. Lost on you. Absolutely over your head. Yeah. Uh, but the night... But I, I feel like you've had enough, like, sort of petty professional grudges to sort of maybe have a kind of escapism with, like, yeah, I'm going to bash this guys no, maybe, maybe probably not really uh but the night watchman is another good like workplace horror comedy um are vampire clowns oh, sure. or um id virus a better premise for a movie wow you have to make us choose yeah that's the that's <laughs> this awful podcast um i 
Nah, honestly, between the two of them, I would probably give the edge to Mayhem, purely because I couldn't tell you any of the actors or characters from The Night Watchmen, and I can picture uh, Stephen Ewan's, like, beautiful, blood-stained face instantly. Yeah. Hmm. So, And also, like, I love how the main characters of this movie were not white men, you know? There's something yeah. about that. I'm like, yeah, you show him. Well, and also, like, and also, um, a black woman is, like, one of the primary antagonists of it. Hmm. Yes. Like, I, I appreciated that the movie wasn't just, because apparently they, um, hadn't, uh, so at Beyond Fest they were talking about this, that, like, when they were casting the main character, they had a bunch of white guys come in, and none of them were really doing it, and, um, the director really, really wanted Steven Ewan, and then he became available, and he petitioned hard for it, and... I, I don't know. I, 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 I love the fact that I didn't have to... Because here's the thing. If I had to watch a white dude in an office who's been hard done by getting revenge on his boss, that sounds boring as shit. Mm-hmm. Like, another right. put-upon white guy who's getting... You know, having his falling down moment where he gets to go on a, a rampage. Um, and yeah, I feel like Stephen Ewan... Purely for Stephen Ewan, I would put it above The Night Watchman. Would you put it above Hellraiser 2? No, I would not. Yeah, then I think it needs to go right above Night Watchmen because Low Life is about a luchador that helps uh, in the stolen organ trade. <laughs> that is correct. And I can't in good conscience put much above that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So, I, also, I like this thing we've started doing where we start adding the year on the list next to well, the Well, that's because Mayhem added. is ungoogleable. So, <laughs> I have to put right. the year. Uh, you'll notice that kind of like other kind of like kind of like MFA in a way. To. MFA does not need the year because that's the only movie named MFA. Uh, there are oh, a lot of mayhem movies. Ah, uh, uh, so that's my reasoning. Uh, speaking of ungoogleable movies, let's talk about the hearse. <laughs> oh shit so uh this is a vinegar syndrome blu-ray uh shout out to vinegar syndrome for sending us a copy of this it fucking rules it's got a reversible sleeve and the new artwork for it is amazing the transfer is great the audio in this movie is killer this has got the best like if you said what does a horror movie score sound like it's this sound it's this score Mm. And, oh man, the score was amazing. And that guy has only done like two movies, and it's a tragedy that he has not scored more horror movies. It felt like I was listening to this like holistic, like the whole of all horror movie soundtracks ever. Um, just kind of the essence of it. Yeah. In this movie, it was so good. Yeah, I kept hearing that little Twilight Zone riff mm-hmm. in in the in the score. Yeah, the piano. It was like it seemed to be doing homages, but I no idea. No, sure. it was it was definitely doing homages, but not once did it do an homage to Tubular Bells, and I cannot tell you how much I appreciate that. <laughs> because like I've seen way too many horror movies that are basically doing the like Jimmy Hart WCW theme version of uh, Tubular Bells. Mm-hmm. So, do we need to do a plot synopsis of this movie? Well, when your aunt is a Satanist and she died in a car wreck, don't inherit the house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pro tip. <laughs> Just, you know, Real estate tip. <laughs> so this woman's having... So did she get... I can't... So 
Jane Hardy, which Trisha Van Devier is easier to remember the actual actor's name than her generic character, you know, white lady mm-hmm. character name. What a fancy name. So, Trish Van Devier, uh, so what happens? Does her husband die? And she's like, I gotta find myself. No, they like, get it. They have a divorce. Okay. She's divorced. And, um, some, there was some other thing at stake for her. And she had, like, she was sick remember she had this like sort of mental breakdown they refer to it as her being sick because this is the Mm -hmm. 70s and um and then she just is like i'm gonna go and live in this house for a season or for a short time just for peace that's right and then she (laughs) falls in love with this dude and then she's followed around by a haunted hearse that'll that happens out in the countryside and also this is going to be a uh, maybe a strange observation there are a lot of weird heads in this movie like skull shapes like people's they 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 found this one guy and i don't know the name of the actor and i don't know the character he has a ronnie james dio style like skullet but fluffy it skullet. it frames his head like a halo and <laughs> I, I left it paused on that screen just so for like five minutes just so that I could appreciate this man's enormous head. Is that there, the kid that she was that hires, the or is that the bully? Yes, I believe that was the the, the sheriff. The sheriff is huge. That yeah. scene where he first comes out, he looks like he's twice her height. Yeah, and also a lot of shitty dudes in this movie yes. as well. We've, yes. we've done a lot of movies with shitty dudes in them. Also, this one where they're like, she's obviously she's been in the shit. And she's trying to, you know, get her life back on track. And she's just fucking surrounded by knuckleheads. Yeah. Everyone in this movie is a fucking doofus but her. Yeah. So I um, I wish I could tell you how many times I wrote down, like, Shirley Jackson in my notes. Like, it just became white noise to me. Like, I forgot how to spell it, Shirley Jackson, because I wrote it so many times. I This idea of, like, a woman going into a haunted house, for one thing, that's, like, classic. Mm-hmm. And... Um, but what I what really struck me was the villagers and the outsider trope. Yeah. And I think that's what is the most terrifying about this movie. It reminded me of the book um, They've Always Lived in the Castle. Oh, by Shirley Jackson. Yeah, I don't know yeah. if you've read that. I but, have, it's um, incredible. And, you know, it was kind of based on this experience she has had as an outsider as well. And... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's something really powerful about even even the women, like that mom that won't let her kids talk to her because she lives in the evil house. You know, it's not just the dudes that are shitty to her, but they do take the cake. Right. And of course, like Shirley Jackson had such a contentious relationship with her mom that I feel like that comes out in everything Shirley Jackson writes at some point. Mm-hmm. Like, The Haunting of Hill House, like, there's a big thing with, you know, the protagonist, like, taking care of her mom and then finally getting a bit of freedom. And, yeah, I honestly, um, the the hearse was, it was weird because I was simultaneously sort of like, okay, I'm invested in this, in, you know, this woman's path to maybe getting her life okay again after this really shitty thing. And then a hearse starts following her around and, like, menacing her. And it... It was weird. In, in, in the way that I was sort of like, what is this Hursa metaphor for? The whole movie functions on dream logic. And there's oh, that yeah. seamless, mm. like, you know, her hair will change from scene to scene. Or her, um, you know, like, totally different hairstyle. Or, like, 
you know, without giving too much away, like, we see a ghost or two in this movie. And, like, that dream sequence <laughs> where um, she's, you know, goes to the funeral home and she's in the casket, but she's also looking at herself in the casket. And all of that, like, it's got these really great surreal moments to it. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of Phantasm a little bit with the weird moments. Yeah. And, and, and it's not just because it's the 70s either. To be fair, this movie came out in 1980, but, you know, it's got that that bleed over of, like, how 1980, 1982 mm-hmm. really isn't the 80s yet. It's still right. the late 70s. Like, 1980 is almost, 1980 is almost more 70s than the 70s, yeah. I think, in some movies. Right. This definitely seemed um, to be super anchored in the 70s, but, mm-hmm. you know, the... I think what they were going for is this like timelessness where um, shit happened 30 years ago and it's happening again. And in that sense, like when she's reading the journals, it's, it's like painful. And you think, at least I did, it took me maybe like two whole journal entries before I realized she wasn't looking back over things she had written herself. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She was reading her aunts. Like I really thought that it was just her. But that stuff that she wrote, like, I love him and fear him at the same time. The fear is palpable. And I know I will do anything he asks. I was like, oh, yeah. Now that you mention it, that also took me a very long time to figure out. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if that's just, like, bad writing or incredible writing. Right? It's really hard to tell (laughs) if this movie is a masterwork or a piece of grindhouse schlock that uh, Vinegar Syndrome rediscovered and are, you know, giving to us or maybe it is both because of you know that's kind of their wheelhouse uh listen if, you, if you're a young if you're a young filmmaker work in surrealism so that any one of your mistakes like if your actor switches hairstyles three times in one day and you didn't notice but now it's all on film and you need to put it up just go with dream logic as the reason for that and true. then people on podcasts will go like i don't know if that was a conscious decision but i want to say that it was ghosts right, that's shrug. how i do my hair actually <laughs> 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 so what's I um I really do think that there's a lot of misogyny in this. It's like an oh yeah. It's like mixed up with this anti-villager stuff. Yeah. Um or um the villagers anti-outsider stuff. It's all kind of the same. And you know how you were saying earlier that you just kind of want her to get her life back together and mm-hmm. find that peace that she's looking for. There's some point in the movie you realize you're just rooting for her to stick it to them to like prove that a yeah. woman can do this. So. I don't know what that means, like, when the stakes change like that. They totally do, though. Like, that's... Because the dudes in this movie, like, they're all just, like, a bunch of cackling... It's like Statler and Waldorf puppets <laughs> at the at the corner store that are just constantly making shitty little pot shots. <laughs> the priests laugh. Ha, ha, ha. That priest! Can we talk about that priest for a moment? Yeah, yeah. He just shows up, and he's... He's a person. Oh, by the way, that's a pentagram. Don't wear that necklace around here. <laughs> Fuck. No, that guy, he was a character from a totally fucking different movie, right? and I was glad he was there. <laughs> right. That, that guy was, he was, I, he wasn't even quite chewing the scenery. He put the scenery in his mouth, didn't chew it, and then made <laughs> eye contact with me uncomfortably for like five minutes. <laughs> I, I loved that priest. What a, what a weird guy. So, um, okay, is the hearse better than Mayhem? 
I would say... Oh. I don't know. Which did you enjoy more this week? I enjoyed Mayhem more. I think. It was just more fun. And granted, I was watching, like, not the greatest quality version of The Hearst, so I didn't get that... um, I don't think I got the impact visually. But there's something about, like, Shirley Jackson fanfic that, I don't know, can't argue with it. I would agree. Like, the, the Shirley Jacksonicity of it? Jacksonness? Oh, I um, love that. Yeah, there we go. Jacksonicity. Um, <laughs> I, 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 feel like, uh, I feel like the atmosphere in the hearse was so good that that's what stuck with me. Where, like, Mayhem is sort of like, I don't like, I really, really enjoyed Mayhem. Like, I had a great time watching it, but sort of as soon as it was over, I had stopped thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah, it's candy. And... Mm. Yeah, it's it's perfect. Listen, I love candy. It's it, it it does exactly what it wants to do. It's a a a you know sort of horror comedy thing. And then the hearse, like I had that one melody from the score stuck in my head as I was like driving home from work today. Um, I was thinking about that priest also a lot of today because I what the fuck was happening there? And I feel like purely in terms of atmosphere, the hearse had like a I, this is gonna sound so pretentious. I feel like it had a stronger voice maybe than Mayhem. So. Above Mayhem, we have The Devil's Candy. Speaking of candy. Oh, yeah. yeah. See what I did there? Right there. See? The Devil. So, <laughs> wow. what's a better sort of ghost movie? This movie where you're trying to figure out if it's an actual ghost or if it's a person with um, schizophrenia or uh, the ghost movie where there's an actual ghost car? driving around <laughs> a literal ghost car um that is now Eve, ah, i'm soft on ethan Embry. yeah i think it's not better than candy man i'll go ahead and say that right now oh for sure not better than candy man is that um, what's above devil's candy or are we just talking candy <laughs> right it's above but, but yeah <laughs> It is, but let's be let, let's all be honest with ourselves. We grouped it with the Devil's Candy entirely for word association, probably. <laughs> like that's I yeah. Um, but I think uh, it's better than the Devil's Candy. But I don't know that it's better than Hellraiser Two. Yeah, I think it should go. Um, well, we're back to low. It's life. definitely better. It's it's definitely better than the Neon Demon. Yeah. Yeah. It's what about Prom Night Two? Another ghost movie. Hello, oh, you mean Hello Mary Lou? Terry, Hello Mary Prom Lou. Night prom Night Two. <laughs> Electric Promalu. <laughs> God damn it. Um, I hmm. So Prom Night not Two. Than she two. gets set on fire and she burns forever. There's it's it's bananas all the time. Um, I think honestly. I would put this uh, below Prom Night 2 above the Neon Demon if I had to pick. Which I do, because that's literally the conceit of the podcast. But even based on the ending, like, the the twist ending in um, The Hearse is dope. Yeah, it is. And I can't remember what Prom Night 2's ending is now. That's a good point. How does Prom Night 2 end, Ryan? Quick. Help me. (laughs) the prom night happened the second time and everyone went home happy and it was prom so yeah so obviously uh you know what you've when you put it like that i i think you have a point but i don't think it's better than night watchmen because clown vampires right yeah yeah 
That's a good point. I feel like I got a, a big Hitchcock vibe from this, too. I don't know if it was the female character or the score was Hitchcockian, but um, there's something very refined about it, despite it being a little cliche or with the, the townsfolk. I don't know. I think that it was it was quite refined. So to, to like compare it to Prom Night 2, which I've never seen, but I feel like I have seen... If you've seen one prom night horror movie, have. you've seen all of the prom night horror movies. I did go to prom twice. Yeah, then you've so. lived it. You've lived the true horror. Prom night, prom night too. There we and and and, and honestly, uh, yeah, that's a really good point. That like, the hearse is a very grown up horror movie, and it's only PG. It's really classy. Yeah, they hold hands. Remember, she's like, I let him hold my hand. <laughs> Oh my god. Now that yes. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is the the horror movie that you don't have to worry about your kids watching because they probably wouldn't have any interest right, in it. Right, they'll get bored and <laughs> it's like normally um gothic horror is boring. It doesn't really grab me. But this was good gothic horror. Yeah. It, it's like the it's like the horror movie equivalent of like when you don't have to worry about your kids doing anything with it. It's like your grandma's tin of royal Donsk butter cookies that just had sewing supplies in it and that's that's the hearse like you know oh it's fine yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. all right so coming in at number 51 is the hearse now out on blu-ray dvd combo pack from vinegar syndrome and let me tell you vinegar syndrome are the true mvps because they know that although i want a blu-ray sometimes i need to watch uh, a movie on my laptop so i still have to have that dvd copy so shout out to you vinegar <laughs> syndrome you're the true mvps yeah they, they they do really good stuff like aren't they're the ones who um released slaughterhouse again right? yes yes so they're uh, and have you work. seen their copy of demon wind that's just out i haven't got heard a, of the movie demon so wind. demon wind is about a wind demon and the <laughs> You know, <laughs> you know the the wind demon. <laughs> so it's got a lenticular cover of a demon opening up a window and blowing the curtains. There is so much there. Yeah. Holy shit! There's a lot happening. So speaking of a lot happening, um, we got a couple of things coming up. We're in the most blessed of seasons. Uh, we're nearing Halloween. And on yeah. October 28th is Halloween Comic Fest. So, hey, y'all, uh, go get some free Halloween comic books. Um, our friend of the show, Katie Schinkel, is going to have a free copy of uh, Moonlighters number one. So any comic book shop that's paying, that's participating, you can go to HalloweenComicFest.com and find a specific uh, comic shop. But they're going to have that. There's going to be Archie Comics. There's going to be a Junji Ito comic book for free. So you can, you should definitely go get spooky comics. And I know my friendly local shop's doing a costume contest. I'm sure a lot of other shops are doing really fun stuff. Um, and if you're in my neck of the woods, uh, maybe I'll see you at my local shop. And um, if not, definitely go to yours and get some amazing free comic books. Well, there we go. Julia, thank you so much for coming on the show this week. Oh my goodness, thanks for having me. It was really fun. Yeah, yeah this, this, was, this was such a blast. Um, where, where can uh, our listeners find you online? 
Um, I have a website that links to a lot of my published writing. That's um, juliadixonevans.com. And um, my Twitter is the same, Julia Dixon Evans, with an X. It's a good name. Yes. Thanks. You worked real hard on that. Well, there we go. It's you know, it's it's one of those names that you're gonna want to hold on to for a while, you know. <laughs> uh, we can be found online, uh, obviously on Twitter at Rankin Vilecast uh, uh, on Twitter. Um, whoever owns the account Rankin Vile without the cast, um, I, I I curse your heart. For, for you know what? No, no. At Rank of Vile, I hope you are having a good life. So if you if you <laughs> wish if you wish them well and I curse them in this way, we will maintain stasis and Twitter user Rank and Vile will just like go on with their day. I don't think they've um, logged on in like five years. <laughs> they could be dead. You realize that. Hey, we also have a Tumblr. Don't forget, we have rankandvile.tumblr.com. We landed that. That's the true victory. And we have exactly. rankandvile on Instagram, too. Like, it's it's two out of three. I, I don't know about Facebook. <laughs> I haven't tried to do Facebook because I don't want my mom and dad to follow our, our podcast on Facebook. Exactly. Exactly right. I think you guys are really good on Instagram. Thank you. That's oh, me. It's 100% oh, Quincy. Uh, I sent him a picture of Elvira once. And that's it. It's all me. Uh, <laughs> and and Twitter is it really, I think literally tonight, Ryan would tweet and I would go in right behind him and tweet a reply. So like, we're just, it's a real mixed bag. It's a, it's a, it's, it's the gorp of Twitter. It's, it's a two-headed um, dork Muppet arguing with itself. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. That's... I followed that on purpose. Oh, well, there we go. I, wait, wait I'm, so I'm so glad that it's, like, actually readable for anyone other than, like, an audience of literally just me and Quincy, so that is wonderful to hear. Yeah, it, <laughs> it's really hard not to like the tweets from the account from the account. <laughs> self I just, just do it. Just yeah, go for it. For it. Go yeah. all in. <laughs> hold, hold your own hand, Quincy. Have a great week, y'all. <laughs> Take it easy, guys. You too. Bye-bye.